At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. He's the cryptid we need, and the cryptid we deserve. Watch the skies, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Cryptic Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're at home listening, it means you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. <laughs> and this is a ukulele. <laughs> and Alex grabbed my ukulele and she's playing it now. I did. The ukulele, um, unlike a lot of things discussed on our show, can be proven. I can prove to you the ukulele exists. Right there. Um, that was a bad chord. Wait. There you go. Some Ooh. C minor for your day. It's nice. Um, yeah, it's a fun time. <laughs> Enjoy it. You know, I just see I felt, like, I felt like the opening was getting a little bit stale, so I thought, oh, what if we just sort of punch it up, changed it up a little bit. <laughs> so you're gonna punch it up. You're gonna punch up our show with I'm musical interludes. Kick it up a notch by some sweet, sweet, oh so mellow ukulele jams. <laughs> you're gonna shred on the ukulele. I'm just gonna go to town on this Sh- ukulele. She's gonna shred on this ukulele and yeah, make a um, really, really great musical experience. It's going to be something roughly equivalent to a musical experience. An integrative <laughs> podcast and ukulele experience. Yeah, this is like sort of our lullaby episode. You know, I'm just going to sort of rock you gently to sleep oh. with the nice island sounds of Is it a soothing ukulele. cryptid? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Nor is it a... Well, it's kind of an island cryptid. Yeah, not like in the tropical sense that you would immediately think of. I but mean, honestly, honestly, if you go big enough... Isn't everywhere kind of an island? You know, it's true. And if you go big enough, then most any animal can become a cryptid. Like, just size something up, and then chances are, like, we can't prove it, but somebody's seen one. So that's Hmm. what we're doing today. I actually do want to do an episode at some point. Sorry. Um, There's a whole section of the cryptids wiki of animals that were thought to be cryptids, but then proven to be real. Isn't it great? Yeah, I I I want to do an episode on those. I don't know when we'll do it. I just really want to. I went down that rabbit hole a little bit um, earlier today. I'm obsessed with them. Because I had to find a new cryptid, because the cryptid I really wanted to do... Um, has been relegated to a bonus episode, which I'm going to make a promise here that Addison then has to keep. <laughs> I'm going to say the bonus episode will release probably the same day as this episode. No, I can do that. So if you're one of our Patreon donors, um, then go ahead and go check that out. We're having a fun bonus episode for you on mm-hmm. the tea kettler, which is a really adorable Such cryptid. a cute name. It's pretty precious, but there's not enough information on it to do what a is, full episode. So. Um, can you just give us a teaser and tell me how much it has in common with Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast? How much it has in common with Mrs. Potts? Um, maybe like two things? <laughs> I'm going to go with two. Two things. <laughs> it has two. Th- you heard it here, folks. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> you heard it here, folks, two first. Uh, um, two whole thing in common with Mrs. Potts. But all right. That's so about it. what are we doing on this episode? Then? So today, our main our main cryptid here is the Ahul. Ahul. Aha. No, Ahul. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's where it gets its name from, from the sound that it makes. Oh, that's cute. It makes this sound that goes like Ahul. It's kind of like a howl, I guess. I mean, yeah, I would say that's kind of a howl sort it's of sound. It's pretty spooky. Yeah, it's what, creepy. What kind of creature would you figure that it would be from that sort of... I would assume an owl-based cryptid, or I would assume some sort of dog, like a canid sort of thing. Um, one of those is closer than the other. Is we'll it, get yeah. there. Oh, God. All right. I'm sure it's not the one <laughs> I think. Neither of them is perfect, but one of them is closer than the other. So I'm going to lead you in here okay. with a little snippet that I enjoyed that I'm taking directly from the website by, uh, let's see, this text comes to us from Jamie Hall. 
Okay. On newanimal.org, a cryptozoologist. Oh, that's a fun name for a site. So here's my little intro for you. According to mainstream science, the world's biggest bat is the Bismarck flying fox. Oh, no. An animal that never gets larger than six feet from wingtip to wingtip. According to cryptozoology, mainstream scientists might be wrong. Many sightings from seemingly reliable people... Seemingly reliable people. That's fun. Suggest that this might not be the case. A number of bat species that are just as big or bigger might be out there, waiting for science to formally recognize them. The island of Java, not very far from the Bismarck Flying Fox's home of New Guinea, is supposed to harbor a bat with a 12-foot wingspan. No. Called the ahul. Its cries sound like ahul, and it eats fish. It has gray fur and a flattened face with huge black eyes, with its head overall looking like a monkey's head. It is not attributed with supernatural powers and seems like such a plausible animal that it has drawn the attention of naturalists. If a giant bat lived anywhere, the dense rainforest of Java would be a likely place. Okay. You know what? You with me so far? I am. I, I am with you. I'm really glad scientists are acknowledging the possible existence of Zubat. Yeah. So here's the thing about the whole actually, that I found very cool when I started researching it, which is that... Unlike most cryptids we've looked at so far. The ukulele is killing me. This one, um, <laughs> this, this cryptid actually has an in-depth scientific classification. Oh. Like, I can tell you it's genus, order, class, species, like everything. The information is all filled out and ready to go on the ahul. Like, we are here for it. Um, do you want to know the mnemonic device I used to rem- use to remember uh, the Oh, order tell me yours, of- yeah. It was uh, dumb King Philip can only find green strawberries. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Domain, kingdom, phylum. Yeah, yeah. no. Class. Um, that's fun. I family, like that. Yeah, genus, species. Yeah, that's adorable. That's what my eighth grade science teacher taught me. Let me see if I can find... Shout out to Mr. Leg, I guess. <laughs> my eighth grade science teacher's name is Mr. Leg. That's an incredible name that I love very much. <laughs> it's spelled L-E-G-G-E. It's yeah, fine. no, I don't care. <laughs> he also had a lot of snakes in, like, cages in his uh, classroom. Uh, no, no, he did have some venomous ones, but they were all in, like, glass things. But that's where I credit my uh, love of snakes. Well, he probably didn't have it at all. <laughs> probably not. Just guessing. But here we go. Some just, like, facts about the awful before we dive right in. So the Ahul was first and mostly sighted in the 1920s. And that, to be fair, is just referring to sightings specifically from, like, Westerners. Okay. Um, so our, our knowledge of the Ahul in the Western world and in, quote-unquote, mainstream cryptozoology uh-huh. comes to us mostly from the 1920s, from one very specific set of sightings. But it is pretty much accepted as fact on Java on the island itself, yeah. this thing is pretty much just sort of, like, acknowledged to exist. It's not really up for debate. Yeah. Um, its domain is Eukarya, Kingdom Animalia, mm-hmm. Phylum Chordata, Class Mammalia, Order Chiroptera, Suborder Megachiroptera, oh. Family Teroptidae, Genus Teropus, and Species is P. Turbinius. Okay. Now, if you're paying attention and you have some knowledge pre-listening, I guess, of the spellings of some of those, you might notice something interesting, which is that it aligns similarly to the Pterosaurus or the Pteranodon or Pterodactyl or what have you, because one school of thought actually aligns the Ahul with surviving dinosaur birds. But it's described mammalian. It is, yeah. But, I mean, any animals that really survived carrying over had to adapt, right? So, like, the school of thought is that these would be 
surviving Jurassic animals that then mm. sort of transitioned and adapted and evolved over time. Not existing in the same way that they existed back then, but sort of existing as this, like, missing link between, you know, Ooh. pterodactyls then and, like, whatever else we have going okay. on now. I have a quick a quick tangent. Yeah. Just a little one. Uh, what year did you say it reached the Western world? 1920s? 1920s. Um, when did The Wizard of Oz come out? You know, I'm not sure offhand. Because I want to say it was the... 40s, is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I do vividly recall them, you just telling me just now, like mm-hmm. a few minutes ago, that it is described as having the head of a monkey. Yes, it so does I'm look just a bit saying... like a flying monkey, although very, very large. It does not look like a monkey that is flying. It looks like a very large flying bat that has some monkey features. But I think okay. that's to be expected because when you size up like a bat or a dog or a monkey, like they, they all sort of start to have very similar features. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like proportion at that point. I'm just wondering if the creative team of The Wizard of Oz and the writer of the original books maybe knew about the Ahul and was inspired thus to create the flying monkeys. You know, it's It's possible. It's my headcanon of The Wizard of Oz. I don't think you can headcanon in real life, can you? Um, I mean, you can certainly try. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) stop a lot of people. That's right. You're right. I guess you can create your own reality if you try hard enough. You sure can. It's thought that the Ahul is a nocturnal creature, spending its days concealed in caves located behind or beneath waterfalls. Mm-hmm. It's night spent skimming across rivers in search of large fish upon which it feeds. I changed my mind. I love it. He's pretty great. Um, its feet are sort of like, sort of like <laughs> monkey feet. You know how monkeys have the feet that like sort of look like they're backwards? Yeah. And grasp like the tree limbs. That's what their feet do too. They have little hand when feet. When they're squatting, yeah, they have hand feet. When they're squatting, like their their feet appear to be turned backwards, grasping the branch upon which they're perching. Okay, all right, all right. So here's the most notable account of the Ahul, occurring in 1925, and it comes to us from naturalist Dr. Ernest Bartels, son of noted ornithologist M.E.G. Bartels, was exploring a waterfall on the slopes of the Salic Mountains when a giant unknown bat, the Ahul, flew directly over his head. Two years later in 1927, around 11.30 p.m., Dr. Ernest Bartels encountered the Ahul again, this time, he was laying in bed inside his thatched house close to the Chijenko River in western Java, listening to the sounds of the jungle when he suddenly heard a very different sound coming from almost directly over his hut. The loud and clear cry that seems to utter, Ahoo! I love making that sound. I'm going to keep making it forever. Grabbing his torch, Dr. Bartels ran out of his hut in the direction the sound seemed to be heading. Less than 20 seconds later, he heard it again. It floated back towards him from a considerable distance downstream. As he would recall many years later, he was transfixed on the sound, not because he did not know what produced it, but rather because he did. Ooh. The Ahul. That's nice. I like that. This is I like solid writing, actually. I mean, this is from the Cryptozoology Wiki. Yeah, this is very, uh, this is very, it's gripping. It's I very like cinematic. It. It's you know? very cinematic. It's got a nice scope to it. Mm-hmm. At one time, Bertels had suggested that perhaps the creature was not a bat, but some type of bird, possibly a very large owl. But... This theory did not sit well with others and were greeted with passionate denials by his friends, who assured him in no uncertain terms that they were more than capable of distinguishing a bat from a bird. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that guy who said that, wasn't he the son of an ornithologist? Is that what he said? <laughs> yes. So he's got a, he's biased. Yeah. He's got a know, bird bias. He's, got, he's looking for birds. But if this is some sort of dinosaur evolutionary tree, I'm not opposed to the idea of it having feathers. Mm. I don't like that. <laughs> you know what? I don't like velociraptors having feathers either, but I acknowledge that it probably happened. Yeah, but I don't like mammals having feathers. Well, you don't have to like the awful, <laughs> but I think you should at least be polite while we're on air. Okay, fine. 
Bartel's accounts of the Ahul were passed down to cryptozoologist Ivan T. Sanderson by Bernard Huvelmans, and after much research, Sanderson concluded that the Ahul is a form of unclassified bat. Sanderson took special yeah. interest in the Ahul because he too had met with such creature, but not in Java. His encounter took place in the Asumbo Mountains of Cameroon in Western Africa. Sanderson thought that the Ahul could be an oriental form of the giant bat-like creature he witnessed in Africa. This creature was known by the African natives as the Congomado. Ooh. Some researchers have suggested that the Ahul may be a surviving population of pterosaur, a flying reptile thought to have gone extinct around the time of the dinosaur some 65 million years ago. Indeed, the description of the Ahul does match what we currently know about pterosaur species, including large forearms supporting leathery wings. Mm-hmm. The majority of investigators seem to agree, however, that the Ahul, the Ahul is more than likely a form of unknown giant bat, looking to the creature's reported facial features as evidence against the flying reptile theory. So, you know, yeah. you're in good company there. I, sorry, I'm just thinking about, have you seen the pictures of the flying fox? Because I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with it. It's beautiful. It's a big, it's a big, yeah. it's a big, beautiful run. But I'm thinking about how really, really big it is. Uh, it's like five feet long, like its body is, and its wingspan six feet. So this thing is a 12-foot wingspan, you yes. said? So it's twice the size. It's twice the size. But, it, like, wingspan oh my proportionally God. to the animal, I mean, it's mostly wing. Okay. It's not mostly, like, animal, right? So this thing would be about the size of, like, a small child with a 12-foot wingspan, proportionally. Okay. It's not, like, terrifying huge, although it is big and kind of scary. That is just, I just, I just already thought the flying fox was unnerving large, even though it does look like a I think like the flying fox is my beautiful son. <laughs> Here's the thing. You gotta understand, I actually, I love bats. I do too. Uh, Alex, remember that time um, that I found out how small bats are? One time Addison and I were hanging out in um, one of our favorite local coffee shops, and there happened to be a demonstration going on there from, like, the local Humane Society, and the lady there was showing off some rescued animals, and one of the rescued animals <laughs> was a bat, a normal-sized bat, and Addison was brought to full emotional life at the moment when she realized for the first time how small bats are. Like, I wish I were making—actually, I don't wish I were making this up. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that really happened. I literally got Snapchats of Addison crying because bats are small. That was it. That was the only thing going on that day, is that bats the were lady, too small. The lady unwrapped the—the the lady unwrapped, like, the little, like, washcloth. She had this little thing wrapped up in— I should specify by Alex. She said, this is a giant Native American, Native American, this is a giant North American brown bat. This is the biggest species of brown bat in this region of North America. Yeah, they're roughly and then she the size of mice. It, and it was the size of a tiny mouse. And I asked her how big the little kind of bats are. And then she showed me with her hands and then I cried. <laughs> there was crying happening and it was due to the size of bats. I think those are the main points of the story. Oh my but yes, yeah, thank you for clarifying. My point being like, when you hear fear responses to the idea of the ahul it is not an inherent fear of bats that that's coming from i love bats a lot i just need to make that very clear have you ever seen those bats that are like i don't remember what species they are but they look like little cotton balls with little faces yeah they're so cute i love bats i love i think bats are great when i was um growing up in west virginia there were a few times we would go on school trips to laurel caverns and i remember one school trip we were in laurel caverns and there was a bat population that was like getting ready to hibernate there and so we like we were right up close to like all these little bats just hanging upside down getting ready to do their sleepy times it was great my sister hates bats. No. But that's because of a very unfortunate childhood experience. And see, here is like where a weird distinction comes into place because I'm pretty sure this exact same thing happened to Bruce Wayne and he became a vigilante. But my sister just developed like a fear of bats. So I'm not sure what it is about us that causes us to like, on the one hand, dedicate our life to dressing up as a creature versus like just deciding they're not for us. Um, but when my sister and I were little, we oh, I love this used story. to... 
really love to collect caterpillars, right? I mean, like, you know, just caterpillars. They're fun. They're fuzzy. They crawl around. Like, they're cool to watch, right? You like caterpillars? Yes. I love them, yeah. Okay, like, I think it's a fairly normal thing for children to go out and collect bugs with their bare hands, but we did anyway. Yeah, I did, I did and the same thing. we collected so many caterpillars all the time. And I don't remember <laughs> this story because I was very small. I already know where this is going. But I'm my sorry. sister was probably like... Uh, I want to say she's probably like seven or eight at the time, maybe a little bit smaller, actually. Anyway, she had this little tyke's golf cart, you know, like um, where you would put your plastic golf clubs down in, just like a caddy cart. Mm-hmm. And she filled the bottom of it with caterpillars <laughs> <laughs> because that's where she was collecting them. You know, it was too many caterpillars for a bug box that the nature had blessed us with a bountiful harvest, <laughs> which is exactly what the bats thought that night when they found my sister's little tyke's golf cart. And so what my sister found the next morning when she found her little tyke's golf cart was she put her face down in to check on her caterpillars, and instead she got a face full of bats flying out of the golf cart because they were very shocked to find that this caterpillar buffet that they had been provided with belongs to a small girl. So picture an eight-year-old girl leaning down to check on her beloved fuzzy caterpillar friends and instead getting at least a dozen bats flying out at her. I mean, I can understand that it's terrifying. And like, to be fair, I have also had similarly embarrassing childhood experiences. Like, don't ask me about slugs. I don't want to talk about it. But... Yeah, that's that's pretty much scarred her for her life. She wants nothing to do with it. I feel so bad for laughing, but it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it just goes to show you it's a lesson about perspective, right? You know, you think your cart full of caterpillars is one thing. The bats think your cart full of caterpillars is another thing. It sounds like it should be some sort of proverb. Like, don't count your caterpillars before they bats. bats. Oh, God. No, I no. was going to say it's a little bit like that old uh, experience of thinking you're going to drink water and it's like Sprite mm, um, yep. or vice versa. Only a much worse taken to nightmarish You proportions. think you're going to check on your caterpillars first thing in the morning and instead you get bats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend I'm adding in all the ukulele in post. Yeah, please do. Um, anyway, so yeah, that that's very much. But the ahul, basically, what oh, yes, I'm back getting at here is that I don't really think it's particularly malicious, nor do I find it particularly scary, but I I certainly understand why you would find a bat with a 12-foot wingspan frightening. And I hold nothing against anybody who is scared by that one. There are a lot of cryptids on this show that I laugh at, and I'm like, yeah, it's not scary. This one I can recognize would be frightening. Like, here's the thing. If an animal is going to be, like, a size outlier, I would way prefer that it's very tiny, because that's a recipe for something being adorable, rather than exceptionally large, because that makes me more nervous even if the animal does not bear me any ill will i still i'm gonna i'm gonna be nervous i'm here for size inclusivity on cryptids i think that big cryptids are beautiful i'm not saying they're not beautiful i'm saying that if i see a very 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 small alligator like a baby alligator that's really tiny i think that's cute but if i see a 13 foot long crom alligator i'm very nervous (laughs) that's fair or a baby corn snake versus a boa constrictor like a full size Full-grown adult. Well, the thing is, those are two different animals. If you see, like, a tiny baby corn snake versus, like, a very, very large corn snake, (laughs) that's that's a more accurate comparison. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, back to the Yahool. So we've talked about it maybe being a um, descendant of the pterosaur. We've also talked about Mm, it possibly being just being a large, unconfirmed species of bat, which seems to be the main school of thought. A third, less popular theory... Um, I'm always here for the third less popular theory. The third less popular theory supposes that it may be the world's first reported case of a flying primate. I was just talking about this. You sure were. 
flying monkeys. Here is an unfortunate sort of addendum to that, though. Oh. Regardless of which theory you may subscribe to, it may only be a matter of time before we find out exactly what the Ahul is. With the continued destruction of Java's rainforests, no. the Ahul's habitat continues to shrink, which may lead to more encounters with the creature by modern man as we encroach further on its home. That's not how I want it. Not like this. Unfortunately, the destruction of the Ahul's home may also lead to its extinction before we even get a chance to fully understand its identity. I think it's important to bring up because I think that, like, we often use cryptozoology as a jumping off point for talking about a lot of other bigger topics on this show. I know that we explore a lot through sort of the lens of, like, spooky, scary things that go bump in the night or may go bump in the midday and just nobody else is around to see them. Yeah. <laughs> but I I don't know. I find it a fascinating way to sort of explore the world around us. And I think that in this particular case, it's it's on the one hand fascinating, right, because mm-hmm. we we know for a fact that lots of things we haven't confirmed yet live in the rainforest, right? Like, that is, if anything, a scientifically acceptable place to talk about cryptids. Because if the only definition of a cryptid is a thing that has not yet been definitively proven to exist, then the rainforest is literally full of cryptids, right? Like, there are so many things in there that we haven't definitively proven yet. And people seem pretty ready to accept the fact that the Ahul may be a real thing that totally exists in the rainforest that we just haven't quite nailed down yet. And I think that that's awesome. But, like, if you love cryptids, then you should be aware that there are tons of them in that forest, and we got to do some things to, like, help them out before it's too late. Yeah, like, just... Humanity needs to stop ruining everything we touch, and I don't have a less dramatic way to phrase that, and I'm sorry, because I get really upset about the destruction of the rainforest and of natural habitats, Because, and that's been something I've been very emotionally invested in since I was very, very young. Um, I mean, like, granted, there are a lot of things happening in the world today. I know. And if your first priority is, like, prioritizing humankind over, you know, animals in the rainforest, that's understandable in the sense of, like, wanting to better living conditions for humans. I don't necessarily mean like, humans are great in the rainforest sucks. I mean, if you're more concerned with civil rights issues, that's totally understandable. Oh, absolutely. I think more what what I was thinking about is um, if part of what your activism is about is climate change and environmental impact of humanity, because that does affect human quality of life. Like, obviously, if anything has taught us that it's this recent rash of natural disasters, that climate change affects the human quality of life and and a lot of those factors tie together the destruction of natural habitats and the rainforest is tied into a a lot of the same corporate entities that are causing a lot of the damage that results in climate change that are producing um exceptional amounts of pollution and uh they have the hugest carbon footprint because like as much as the narrative has been placed on personal responsibility with a lot of environmentalist stuff what really needs to happen is uh business reform and I'm sorry to get on my soapbox about that but like it's awesome if you as an individual recycle but what really needs to happen for genuine systemic change to cut back on uh, climate change and uh, pollution and destruction of the environment is that companies and big businesses need to be held accountable for the damage they're doing to the natural world anyway (laughs) that was my soapbox what I mean is I'm not saying like your activism or your life needs to be about what this particular issue I'm just saying that a lot of the issues that people are fighting for and a lot of things people are fighting against weave together in a lot of intricate ways. And yeah, totally. I mean, like, most things in life are yeah. inherently interconnected. Um, but I think what's cool is that you can find any entryway that you're passionate about to get into caring about the world. Oh, yeah. And I think that if this is what does it for you, then, like, that's fine. If you want to make the whole the personal ambassador of your particular brand of activism, like, go for it. And we support you all the way. Absolutely. It just, yeah, I'm, I'm already regretting the weird, like soapbox I hopped up on with that. Uh, uh, we'll see if that makes it into the final product of this I was going to say, well, there's exactly one person responsible for determining what makes the final cut. I was just about to say, <laughs> I, am the dis- I am the decider. Oh, man. Uh, 
Well, you know, the nice thing about having like an inherent platform built into talking is that you can decide how many people listen to your message. Um, but there is true. a responsibility to use that platform for things that are important to you and things that you think matter in the larger scale. So I don't know. I don't think it's inherently problematic to use a discussion like this to talk about bigger things. And if you don't like this episode, I'm sorry. Like, but yeah. not really, because it's something that we feel is important. And if you want to talk about other things and make your own podcast, like, that's dope, too. Yep. You told us to not talk about Jeff Goldblum, so instead you're going to get me yelling for 10 straight minutes about uh, the human responsibility to protect the environment. Which, to be fair, is still kind of talking about Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Like, I did mention dinosaurs, and then we did talk about... Okay, anyway. Then we did talk about humanity's impact on the environment and how we uh, assume we have dominion over... Why did I say the word like that? Dominion Dominion over nature. Dominion. Football. I'm not explaining that one. <laughs> Just leave the people in the dark. Just, you can wonder. Football. Uh, bonus points it. if you guess what that I is. I would never force you to play football. <laughs> football? Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> I'm so sorry. Back on topic. Please tell me about the Ahul. Yeah, let's talk some more about the Ahul and nothing else maybe. Yep. Here's something that I love about the Ahul that I have found more so than researching any other crypto we've done so far is that because people are much more ready to believe that it is very likely just a creature that we haven't confirmed yet, Mm -hmm. people are much more willing to make very scientific observations and statements about its biology and its, not just biology, but its sort of social structure, which is something that I found very interesting. So here is a cool tidbit, again, coming to you from the cryptids wiki. Yes, gimme, gimme. Which I like. Uh, Some species can be found on the nearby island of New Guinea in the form of the Ropen, a cousin to the Ahul. The Ropen has a long snout, large wings, and a long, thin crest, which is also, I think, where people start to get the comparison between it and the pterodactyl. Mm, yeah. Or pterosaur, my bad. Yeah. Is that it definitely has much more of that appearance to it. It has a chimp's or bat's face, large, dark eyes, red-skinned wings, large claws on its forearms, and is covered in gray fur. It's also the same size, roughly, as the Ahul. Although it mainly eats fish, the Ropen will occasionally attack humans. Oh. One scientist theorized that the creature may be related to another cryptid, the Kongamato, but its description describes more of a bat-like creature than a reptile-like one. It may be more related to the Orangabati, which is another variation. A lot of giant bats. A lot of giant bats. Here's what I really like. Mm-hmm. Female ahuls are very social. While the males live on their own, living in groups, the females and their young remain together until the young are fully mature and capable to breed. Ahuls are creatures that feed on a large range of food sources, but will consume large amounts of flesh as they are very successful predators, preying on a range of large animals ranging from small cats to full-grown humans. Oh my god. Ahuls allegedly hunt their prey by, this is what I love, Okay. by upside-down stalking throughout the forest as the creature's large size proves to be easily noticeable if it were to stalk from the skies. Oh. The, stalking, the stalking usually lasts for about several minutes before the ahul drops down from the treetops to its victim, jaws open wide, and engulfs their victim with their large wings while delivering a fatal bite with their massive fangs to the victim's neck, oh cracking my. the spine, and usually kills the victim instantly. Oh my god! Similar to the leopard's method. Yeah, you. S- I'm sorry, Alex. I'm gonna. I'm gonna at this point insert the portion of this podcast wherein you said. This isn't particularly scary. It kills you instantly. That's more than some cryptids will do for you. Yeah, but that upside-down stalking, that imagery... That yeah, it's pretty great, right? You were kidding. It's written extremely cinematically, but I yeah, just got nice. the most vivid image. Oh, that's creepy. I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, 
the thing for me is I'm still having a hard time reconciling that with its, its very scientific possibility. If it's a large bat, then I find that unlikely because it's not that much larger than the flying fox, which means that its need for consumption would not be that much greater. And, like, bats are not inherently predatory creatures. Um, I mean, like, they eat insects and occasionally, like, lick tiny droplets of blood off of the necks of cattle. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. It. Like, it's not, I don't think... Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's more speculation. The vampire bat consumes an egg cup's worth of blood per feeding. It's not yeah, very much. But I found uh-huh. the description of, like, social structure and society in the whole so fascinating. I like and there's, that. there's not any reason given as to why they come to that conclusion. <laughs> Wait, really? They just sort of thought, like, oh, well, you know, this that, that makes sense. Uh, my guess is that it's extrapolated from what they know of the creatures that it's most likely based on. But yeah, I can't prove I'm that. Just, I'm very curious about, yeah, how any observation would tell them anything about the habits of the males versus the females. Because how do they even... How can they, if this is based on sightings, how would they even know from that? Yeah, who has been doing, like, the veterinary, <laughs> like, I, I, who's who's examining the dimorphism in a fool's? Like, yeah, that's my question. Who's gotten that checked out? Like, how are you sexing a fool's? Are you, like, looking yeah. at them and being like, oh, yes, well, <laughs> give me just a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. But I, I enjoy the thought process of it. Anyway, I don't think they're inherently dangerous. I feel like it's probably misrepresented it's because again, yeah i mean even if you say like it's twice as big as a flying fox and look at it that way like okay double the flying fox's intake it's not going to be human yeah it's true <laughs> twice I of actually... what a flying fox eats is not going to be fully grown human well i might be incorrect on this but um i believe flying foxes actually don't even are are completely or herbivorous i, I thought be... they were like insectivores i think yeah that actually might be true um so, like, they'll eat large bugs, which there are plenty of in the rainforest. Oh, there like, sure Like, okay, are. you've got a bat that's twice as big as a flying fox. It'll eat bugs that are twice as big as the bugs a flying fox eats, and those are definitely found in Java. Yeah. Um, they mostly eat flowers and fruits of the native plants. Yeah, so you're fine. The flying fox been misrepresented. Do. Yeah. If it's anything like the flying fox, now, to be fair, we don't know if it's even actually a mammal. Here's the other thing. If the owl is inherently, like, dangerous, then why is it that we have two sightings from the same guy? True. Like, I don't think that... I mean, Alex... What are the odds? Plenty of... I mean, plenty of people have made sightings of animals that are dangerous to people in the wild. Like, plenty of people have seen tigers. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that, like, if this animal is somehow inherently more dangerous, because, mm. like, most... Like, if it's said to stalk humans, there actually are not a lot of predators in nature that will naturally do that outside of extenuating That's circumstances. True. That's like, true. most animals have been grossly misrepresented in the pop culture. I was gonna say mountain lions have been known to do it, but for the polar most part... Polar bears. Oh, my God. Polar bears will do it. Polar bears are terrifying. Polar bears will do it. Mountain lions will do it. Hippos will do it. Polar um, bears are scarier than the ahul. Yeah. Hippos are sca- one of the scariest animals, and no one thinks about it because they look like they would talk like... Like this, but they don't. They don't talk, and they want you dead. So I know mm-hmm. I was just looking at pictures of the flying fox again because wow, look how sweet it looks. I know it's so precious. If you haven't seen what the flying fox looks like, it is so cute. It is a sky dog, a sky fox. It's really good. Yeah, they're sky puppies, and I love them. Mm. I don't know. I'm gonna just what's how do you spell the ahul? A H O O L. That's fun. I didn't think it would be spelled like that. That's funny. Ahul is my favorite kind of uh, chocolate milk style drink. Uh, Get out. (laughs) Ahul is my favorite search engine. Okay, you know what? We're going to talk about some other sightings. (laughs) Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. I just found uh, some Ahul fan art that looks straight up like Gargoyles fan art. Very nice. 
Is it a gargoyle? It's, no, it's supposed to be covered in gray fur. Is that covered in gray fur? It has a little bit of... Oh, it totally is. Zoomed in on its muscular calves. Oh, wow. That's some Beast of Bray Road shit. Yeah, it really, really is, though. Oh, there we go. Here's what I'm into. <laughs> that's fun. I like that. <laughs> I found a picture that's just an angry chimpanzee with bat wings. I'm into it. Okay, I'm sorry. Tell me about the sightings. You're totally fine. So we have not had any sightings with nearly the detail that we have since Dr. Bartels, at least in the Western world. There are a lot of people in Java who are like, oh, yeah, sure, I've seen the Ahul. Like, we know the Ahul. But yeah. as far as the only, like, sightings that we are willing to take as reliable because we have a huge bias, um, not us on this show. I mean, like, the Western from the perspective world. of the Western yeah. world. I'm not saying, like, I don't believe the people of Java. Yeah. I'm saying... Western countries are... are wait, is Eurocentrism? Americentrism? Weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes? Anyway. In June of 2008, two experienced plane pilots encountered a large flying creature. On first sight, it was assumed to be another plane, but it soon flapped its wings. <laughs> so that killed that idea dead in the water. Oh, boy. A few weeks later... The person writing this article interviewed both pilot and co-pilot, mostly by email. The incident was 150 miles southeast of Bali, Indonesia. So no more details given on that, just that they sort of saw this sighting, which is why we can't classify it as like a clear sighting of the Ahul, because it may have been some other flying creature we're not sure of. This is sort of just like you have to widen your net a little bit mm-hmm. and try to figure out, do large flying creatures exist? If so, what percentage of them are Ahuls? Mm-hmm. I mean... Large flying creatures do exist. Absolutely, they exist. One, like, in the world of this show where everything that we talk about exists, but also, like, the flying fox is, again, not that much smaller than something like this. So, yeah, they do. Um, They do exist. This is only slightly related, but listed in the same article, is talking about the potential relationship between pterosaurs and bats. To a biologist, bats and pterosaurs have only limited similarity, mostly being that they are featherless and flying. But if they live together, flying at night, could there be a predator-prey relationship? Yes. I know a friend of a missionary in the Congo. In one area, pterosaur-like animals are known by the natives, according to the missionary. Oh. And he himself believes he saw one swoop down on a tree full of bats, causing the bats to scatter in all directions. Damn. Which says nothing about whether or not our critter that we're talking about is bat related or pterodactyl related simply that i what i found fascinating about that obviously was like yeah sure pterosaur like animals are just sort of like a thing there right wild that's wild i love that Mm -hmm. i mean i don't love that the bats were being eaten but i do love that yeah pretty cool and then one more pseudo sighting i guess Mm -hmm. because i don't think that it's exactly the same but it's it's another instance of of a large flying creature in a similar area And this article was written in 2015. Ahul, giant bat-like creature spotted in Portugal. A student claims he saw a quote-unquote giant, and I don't know why that part's in quotation marks, bat-like creature in southern Portugal. Mm. Almada resident Pedro Ruc told Cryptozoology News on Sunday that he and his three friends were exploring a nearby forest in late August when the unidentified winged creature showed up. I and another friend heard a noise above. It looked like a large flying animal, perhaps a giant bat, he explained. The sighting reportedly lasted only a few seconds. Only a great flying black figure with wings. It looks a bit like a giant bat. Roque said he and his friends had never seen anything like it before. Large bats, such as the endangered species Acerodon jubatus, also known as the golden-capped fruit bat, are not endemic to Portugal. 
The oh. Ahul, a giant bat-like flying cryptid first described by Dr. Ernest Bartels while exploring the mountains in Java, is believed to have gray fur, large black eyes, and an approximated wingspan of 10 to 12 feet. Some cryptozoologists like so Ivan T. Feet. Sanderson, our friend from earlier, suspect it might be a relative of the African Kongamato, while others opt for the pterosaur theory. Couple All more right. sightings. Back in July, a Sacramento California. This was July of 2015. Okay. Back in July of 2015, a Sacramento California minister and her daughter claimed to have seen a flying animal. They said looked like it was quote unquote straight out of Jurassic Park. Whoa! A week earlier, two motorists said they had spotted a similar creature while driving across the desert on Interstate 80 on their way to Winnemucca, Nevada. That's so good. Yeah. So neither of those obviously are Indonesia. Those were again Americentric sightings, but interesting. They're very interesting. Yeah, what would the migratory patterns of an animal that big look like? I, I was just going to say, like, can you imagine uh, being on, like, a ship out at sea and looking up and seeing one of these things flying on its way I to sure cross cannot. the ocean? That is a thing I cannot imagine. <laughs> Do you want to imagine it? I'd love to. Let's go down this, like, visionary journey right, for a I'm second. Gonna, I haven't painted you a word picture in quite some time. Paint me a right? word picture. I don't really know what modern uh, ships are like for people on them, because when I talk about someone being on a ship, I imagine it as being in, like, the 1800s. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of ship I want to be on in okay, my so, vision. So go okay, ahead. so it's the 1800s, and you are crossing the ocean. You are making your way uh, from the... British Empire to visit your family that went over to the former colonies in America. So you are on the ship in your various hoop skirts. I don't want to be wearing hoop skirts on a ship. If I start to sink, there's nothing I can do. You're wearing pantaloons. Thank you. You're wearing pantaloons and a festive hat to block the sun. Thank goodness. How big is my hat? It's uh, approximately 30 inches in circumference. Is it impressive to potential suitors? It's very impressive to potential suitors. Does it have a feather in it? It has an entire bird on it. Heck yeah. (laughs) It has an entire stuffed peacock. Oh no, is the Ahul going to try to swoop down and get it? (laughs) Just come with me. All right, right, I'm sorry, I'm waiting. I'm nervous on sea travel. Come with me on a story. So you're out upon the deck. You are writing a letter on from the deck to your family that, back at home that you will mm-hmm. send when you reach shore. Right. Telling them you've arrived safely. And it, obviously you'll send it once that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are writing it with a quill pen. This is a lot of backstory, but it's important for me to craft a rich world for you right. to, like, occupy. Yeah, you feel me. You smell the salt air. You feel the rush of the ocean breeze. You hear the waves crashing all around as this, as the sailboat, not sailboat, as the ship <laughs> makes its way through the choppy waters. Um, it's it's choppy, but it's not, like, scary. Like, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. there's some some motion to the ocean, so to, so, so to say, uh, so to speak. Uh, but one of the sailors is singing a shanty that sounds a lot like Margaritaville. Yes, exactly. the the captain's uh, The captain's aide, James Buffett, serenades <laughs> the crew with his lute. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anymore. With a harpsichord. <laughs> he has a harpsichord on him. Okay, go on. <laughs> I'm having fun. So, you hear the cries of seagulls swooping overhead, and you look up to see the birds. You think to yourself, "Ha." Huh, they must think that my hat is a friend. Those a sure are normal-sized bird. birds, I think to myself. Those sure are normal-sized birds, you think to yourself, as they go swooping by. It might be alarming to see something much larger than that in the sky, I think. Yes, they are not. you soon realize they are not, in fact, diving for fish, but are, in fact, fleeing from something. Mm-hmm. You look over your shoulder, delicately, <laughs> to see what is... Sorry, she did it. <laughs> I couldn't. To see what is, what is pursuing these seagulls, expecting to see perhaps a larger predatory bird, 
A falcon of some sort. What dost it be? What dost it be? Why, milady, it is in fact an enormous bat with a 12-foot wingspan and the face of an ape. I find that dubious at best. It is frightening. It swoops dangerously close to your hat. Heavens to Betsy. <laughs> but decides to forego the hat in pursuit of the seagulls, which are a more readily available prey. It swooshes by your head and off in the direction of the seagulls, never to be seen again. When you tell the captain about what you have seen, he says, sounds like women's hysteria. And then I mutiny. <laughs> and then I take over the ship. <laughs> and then I go down in history as Anne Reed, one of the first famous female pirates. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode as much as I did, because I think that was the perfect note to end on. <laughs> Alex. Where survival the, strategies for the Ahul. Yeah, tell me about the Ahul st- uh, survival strategies. Yeah, so I think it's going to be debatable based on your interpretation of the Ahul and where in the world you are hanging out and which version of large flying bat monkey pterodactyls you're dealing with. I think in general, your best bet is probably going to be to bring an alternative food source for it. Mm. Right? So like... I don't feel like the Ahul really wants combat. I feel like it just wants food. And I think if you can offer it, like, some delicious dried fruits or a bountiful insect harvest <laughs> or perhaps a real-sized golf cart full of large caterpillars, then I think you're going to be in a good place. I don't think the Ahul really wants to fight you. I think it just wants to eat. I think it's just hungry, right? That yeah. would make sense. It's not like it's targeting you for any malicious purpose other right. than it's got to eat. Except for the part where it's, like, stalking upside down through the forest canopy. But even then, you got a golf cart of caterpillars with you, you're good. Yeah, well, but that's, like, everything's got to eat. Right. Um, but it's clearly not combative, right? It's stalking you. It doesn't want, yeah. like, a high-intensity confrontation. Yeah. It doesn't want to fight you. So I think if you look it straight in the eyes and you say, hey, now, take these instead, um, I think it'll take you up on it. Okay, but does it understand English? Well, no. I mean, it's from Indonesia. Yeah. What if I don't speak Indonesian? Do you speak Ahul? Can you? There you go. You're good. Okay, perfect. And then I point at the basket and I say, "This is for you." You point at the basket. (laughs) It says yes, and it it dives down to begin its (laughs) feast, and you may make your graceful escape. Yeah. Um, But I I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Yes and No, our improv podcast. It it went a little weird. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Did you like the improv scene? Got off the rails there a bit. I liked it. Also, can we talk about the fact that we have gone from Addison insisting that I banish myself to the nether dimension whenever I have anything that makes any sound in the booth to, like, full up letting me strum a ukulele for parts of this episode? I figured if I tried to take it away from you, I wouldn't get my hand back. You would not. I figured that my hand would be lost if I tried to take the ukulele away from you. Yeah, I think it's going to be a thing now. Please don't. <laughs> it's not going to be a thing. It's a one-off, please. Yeah, it's a one-off okay. at best. You got to do the gag and move on to the next gag. You got to, yeah. You can't belabor the joke. We don't ever, we never bring back a joke over and over again until people beg us to stop. Yeah, who do you think we are? Um, anyway, any announcements? Um, I don't believe we have any announcements. Um, I... Like I'm just I'm 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 like rifling through my brain right now. I mean like we're working on some new merch projects, but like nothing like available. Yeah, we've yet. gotten requests for patches and buttons and pins, so we're looking into all of that. Thank you, Marina, yes. for contacting me. We're very interested in pursuing that line of thinking. So um, now that we have our shiny new production team on board, we're going to be looking into stuff like that. We're already having these conversations and figuring out where to go from here. I think there's some exciting stuff coming down the line at the Cryptid Keeper franchise is it a franchise it's not a franchise yeah. i mean we locally own our chapter of it but yeah, i don't think that not, makes it a franchise i don't think it does i um 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think aside from just saying people who've like mentioned stuff about merch and like just mentioned stuff about general stuff you want to see from like future projects, we have heard you and we are working on it. Yeah, nothing, absolutely. nothing like newsworthy yet. Um, also, make sure that you're tweeting at us, joining our Facebook group, which just passed 300 members the other day. We're thrilled about that. Yes. That's the Cryptic Keeper Appreciation Group on Facebook, and it's a lot of fun. We'd love to have you yes, there. Yes, it's a great space. Yeah, a lot of chatting and, like, talking directly with us and other people involved in the... The word fandom is weird to say when it's about me. Community? <laughs> Community. I like that a lot better. Community's Neighborhood. Better. Neighborhood. Yeah, our cryptid neighborhood. Uh, it's great. Won't you be our neighbor? Won't you be our spooky, unprovable neighbor? Um, it's awesome. And we have a lot of fun there. And that's honestly a lot of where we take our direct inspiration for what to do next. Yes. And moves to make in terms of getting merchandise out to you guys or products that you want to see, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's your best bet to have your voice directly heard. Um, so do that. Contact us. We are still collecting fan submissions of stories that you have collected personally or things yes. that have happened to you or family members. We've gotten some really cool ones yes. so far. We're trying to compile them for an episode dedicated to listener experience experiences and uh, listener stories so please keep those coming our dms are open on twitter you can shoot them if you want to message the facebook page which is just the cryptic keeper or tweet them at us or just tweet at us and say hey i've got a story and then we'll have probably... i got a story for yeah. you and we'll i got say, a scoop yeah. you know say i got a hot cryptid scoop and we'll <laughs> shoot you a message you have to say it just like that though mm-hmm. send us an audio recording of you saying we've got a hot cryptid scoop we will um, absolutely love it. Something we are <laughs> considering adding to our Patreon rewards, there have been multiple requests for custom voicemail messages in our weird Owen Wilson voice. So I don't if, know why you say our weird Owen Wilson voice. Mine the, is flawless. In the Owen Wilson voices. So if that's something you are interested in, that's just something to consider. Something to consider. Yeah. Yes. We are on Patreon as the Cryptid Keeper. We um, have some new donors, I think, and we'll look at making sure that you guys get everything you signed up for. Exactly. And then we've got some new audio content coming out on there. We've got the bonus episode we just talked about that we're about mm-hmm. to record. I have recorded some small like little snippets from uh, different things that I'm going to put up there and then we'll talk We'll talk about Owen Wilson voicemail messages. Yes. We'll In the talk. meantime, if you're a Patreon donor and there's something else you want to see, or if you're not a Patreon donor and there's something that would get you to become a Patreon donor, make sure to let us know. Just either slide into our DMs on Twitter or tweet at us, at CripKeepPod, and we will be more than happy to take your request into consideration. Absolutely. And as always, our music is by Andrew Giada. Big thanks to him. What a star. <laughs> He's going to go far, kid. He's going to go far, kid. Go going places. See his name in all the papers. Um, is there anything else? I think that does it. Are you going to play music while I do this? Oh, my God. Um, yes. You, you don't have, have to. Oh, no. I just, you looked poised and ready to go. So, as always, we hope we can keep you around. And you know what? Stay safe out there. <laughs>